0: This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 160. Hi, veterinary friends. It's Dr. Julie Capel, and this is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have a very special guest. Her name is Jenny Toe, and she is a life coach, a lawyer, and she runs a company called River Life Coaching. And she is in Singapore, which is really exciting. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone in Singapore. So welcome to the podcast, Jenny. So nice to have you.
1: Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. And yes, uh, it is actually my nighttime and your morning when you're recording this.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's like 7.30 in the morning here. And what time did you say it was at night? 8.30 p.m. So we're we're, we're 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 thirteen hours apart. apart. We're almost a day apart. (laughs) So it's really exciting to meet you. And we talked a little bit um, before the podcast, but I don't know a lot about you. So I'm really excited to get to know you and what you do and so can you tell me a little bit about how you became a lawyer and a life coach?
1: Okay. So um, I've been in the legal profession for close to 25 years now. And I think I started, you know, um, having this interest in law when I was a teenager, uh, possibly thinking very black and white right then uh, about, you know, justice and fairness. And and I think that's when it all got started. Um, of course, when you study and then eventually when you join the workforce, it's something else. <laughs> I think a lot of us, <laughs> when we go through education, we are very naive. Tr- yes. yeah, You don't always know the true
0: reality of the profession,
1: right? <laughs> yes. You're quite naive. And then, you know, you end up uh, being in the profession and it's really quite different. Um, What stayed with me was the ability to help people. I think that's the core of it. So in law, I do help uh, people, although I I work more with uh, organizations rather than um, handling individual uh, cases. So there is still the element of helping people. And then I moved into life coaching just a few years ago. Uh, I trained as a coach in 2019. And again, it was based on the premise of helping people. Uh, this time, definitely I'm more mature and I, I'm a Christian. So I believe that this is what God is calling me into in, in this phase of my life. Uh, it wasn't an easy switch. Uh, it was something that I kept pushing away for a good number of years. So I think I was first. Bitten by the coaching bug, maybe in twenty fifteen, uh, I have a full time job and I have a family, and, and it didn't seem quite logical to to make that shift. But the desire to become a to train as a coach and to become a coach was getting stronger until I couldn't push it away. So it's like a taking a leap of faith to go into this profession, and and you know again it's helping people. So you know, being a lawyer, you help people, but. Put, possibly more as providing solutions for them because clients come to me and I'll provide solutions. As a coach, as you know, Julie, it's not for the coach to provide solutions. It's for the coach to create this safe space where the clients can come and truly feel that they are supported, they are understood. And that's where the magic works because then they are able to discover their own inner strength and their own inner resource to be able to overcome whatever challenges they're facing.
0: So did you go completely like one day you were a lawyer and you just quit everything, or do you still do some lawyering along with your coaching?
1: I still do legal consulting. It's still very much a part of me. Uh, It's, I guess when I was uh, starting out my business, I did uh, struggle with this, like, is it an all or nothing thing? You know, being, being a perfectionist as well, is it an all or nothing? Again, as I grow as a coach, as I grow as a person, I realized that the experiences I have in my legal career actually helps my coaching. And then coaching also helps me become an even more empathetic lawyer. So they they form different parts of me, but they are still who I am. So I, I still do legal consulting work on the side. And I, I'm definitely very passionate about coaching. And, and that's the complete me.
0: Yeah. Do, do you just coach lawyers or will you... Do you have other clients that aren't lawyers or do you specialize in um, people in that
1: profession? Um, when I first started out, naturally, it's people in my network. So there are lawyers, there are people in the banking and finance industry because that's where I, I work. Um, however, with technology and you know, you just have to manage the, the Zoom invite and, and the time zone differences, I've coached many people uh, all over the world, actually, and are male and female. Although I must say that I do tend to have more female clients, maybe it's because they, they resonate with uh, me and my approach and I coach introverts because uh, I'm an introvert myself and I understand what introverts go through. and uh, perhaps that's why they, they feel that they trust me as well. Although most people don't you know, put in their social media that they are an introvert, but you know <laughs> and, and, and as we start talking about it, it comes up, it comes up. Yeah, I,
0: I was fascinated when I met you. Um, When you said that, that you were an introvert, because I know in the veterinary profession that the majority of veterinarians are introverts, which when I learned that, I found that very fascinating because much of our job is dealing with clients. And so there is a lot of extroverting but most of them are introverts. So tell me about that a little bit because I'm an extrovert. So for me, it's a little bit harder to understand, even though the rest of my family is all introverts. So I have a lot of experience living and dealing with them. But tell me about that because I think that's a unique thing that people don't always think about when they're dealing with their own mental health is you know what kind of personality do I have? What do I need? What is your take
1: on that? Yeah. So I think the the common misconception is introverts are shy. Uh, That's not necessarily the case. Although I was very shy when I was growing up and I didn't know I was an introvert. So it's like a double whammy. I'm shy and introverted, you know, and then adults are saying, Jenny, you should speak up more. Especially when I said (laughs) I'm going into the legal career, they say like, are you sure you're so shy? You know, can you do it? But then it's because I, I believed in my purpose then and I connected with it so strongly. So Introversion and, uh, and extroversion is a spectrum because Julie, you and I are, are human beings. We can't be boxed in. We can't be labeled. You are an introvert and then that's it. You don't have your extroverted moments. We're all on a spectrum. I mean, uh, so sometimes you may be more introverted or extroverted. So how how I see is like where you draw your energy from. So Julie, you draw your energy from being with people. I'm not saying that you need to be with people all the time, but you notice that you get a bit high When you're with people, especially people you like, Like it's more energy, energizing, yeah, yes, yes. For introverts, we do like, uh, you know, being with people. uh, Like this, this conversation that we're having, I do feel that energy. I do feel energized. However, if it goes on longer, like what we talked about before (laughs) the recording, if it goes on longer for more than an hour, I'll probably probably see me. You'll run out of gas. (laughs) Yeah. So introverts need that time to recharge, to get within ourselves. And, and when I coach my clients, they're saying, you know, I, I can't do this meeting. You know, it's there's just too much for me. Um, So how we handle that is we need the preparation work. So I think extroverts are more spontaneous. Is, again, it's a generalization, but from what I see from my extroverted friends, they tend to be more spontaneous and uh, they, they are more They feel freer to speak their mind, whereas for introverts, we tend to think a lot, we mull a lot, and until we are comfortable that uh, what we're saying is uh, the right thing to say, and then we speak. So you know, sometimes in a big meeting, we hold ourselves back because we're saying we're thinking to ourselves, oh, maybe this is not the right time. Maybe what we say isn't that good, and then everyone else is already talking, and then the moment has passed. So one tip I, I coach my clients is you, uh, tell me about your threshold. You know, then they say, oh, it has to be hundred percent perfect. So can you live with ninety percent perfect, and then say it? Uh, then then they struggle with it, but they experiment. So sometimes they say that, oh you know, I as long as it's about 75% complete, you know, I will speak up. And a lot of prep work is is uh has to go into it. So if they know the chair of the meeting, they can actually tell the the chairperson beforehand, "Can you call on me?" You know, because extroverts don't need to be called upon; they'll they just go in and they'll start speaking. So you might need to use that kind of tactic if you if you know the chairperson of the meeting very well. Saying, "Call me. I don't want to be the first one, but can you call me to be the second one?" Like make it <laughs> almost, almost stage forcing yourself to speak up. Yes. But when you speak and you connect with the reason for that topic and all that, uh, introverts speak beautifully because they're so passionate about, you know, what they believe in. Yeah.
0: Well, and and what I love about introverts, when I really dive into this subject matter of different personality, not necessarily, like you said, not in a box, but personality tendencies or preferences, it's more of a way that we prefer to interact. I I just find it fascinating that so many people that are introverts have so much to offer, but because of that perfectionism, because of that, um, not wanting to put themselves in that public eye, that sometimes they keep all that good stuff in there. So Mm. how do you encourage them other than asking the person to call on them? How do you encourage them to be confident enough to offer what they have in, in their brain out into the world and and not feel like um, something bad will happen. Is that oh, kind two of the things.
1: thought? Yeah, it's two things. So I think the the thing the first thing is a shift in perspective or, or mindset. So when we focus inward, which is what introverts naturally do, is a lot of uh, thinking about me. If I say this, how will I look? So So there's a lot of focus inwards, which is good. Uh, however, too much focus inward stops you from doing something because you know you you keep thinking about it and then you're thinking about worst case scenarios. And you never end up doing anything. So I encourage my clients to think about if, uh, you don't produce this speech, if you don't uh speak up in this meeting, if you don't ask for your promotion you know, what's the consequence of that? Who is losing out here? So it's whether you are depriving your audience from a very powerful message, whether you're depriving your team members from a great idea. So you focus outwards. If I don't speak up, if I keep this all to myself, who's losing out? So when they think that way, then they realize that, oh, it's just myself. I'm just limiting myself, you know, and I've been doing that for so long. So there's a slight shift with that slight shift they will realize that it's a bit of a waste if they don't speak up, if they don't do what they've been thinking in their minds all along. So it's, it's quite amazing. So when they do that and they connect with the reason why they need to do that... It's almost like nothing can stop them. So, so that's that's that shift. The second thing is, I think it applies to extroverts and introverts. What's your comfort zone? So a lot of times we have our little comfort zone, very comfortable there. Mm-hmm. So the, the tip is a small step. So I'll ask them, what would it feel like, you know, if you just take one small step outside that comfort zone? So just say for networking, which is like a bad word for introverts. If you say introverts network, everyone's they automatically get a headache or something like that. So what's a small step outside your comfort zone for networking? So you have a target, you go to a party, uh, you know, whether it's professional or personal, you make it a point, you tell yourself, I'm gonna connect with three people, I'm gonna find out something unique about these three people. As long as I meet my target of connecting and finding out something interesting about these three people. I've done it, <laughs> you know, so that's a small step. So sometimes you say, oh, it's two or more ambitious. Some might say, I need to get to know five people, but you have like a target and then you go in. Uh, And then when you achieve that, it, it gives you that sense of accomplishment. Like, wow, I did it. It's a small step outside my comfort zone. And the next time uh-huh. you go for a meeting, yeah, small goals. And the next time you go there, you're like, okay, I've done it with three. Now I'm going to go with five. And before you know it,
0: in the beginning, like you
1: said, it's like forced to be extrovert. But then after that, you start to enjoy it and you know your limits. So just say you set aside three hours to be in that party. Then after that, uh, you know, just, just make sure you have an escape route, an exit route. So I actually was on another podcast show and she she's also an introvert. She said, I always drive. Because then I know when my three, three, I don't have to depend on my friend to drive me home. I always drive, and my three hours is up. I have a car to go, you know, to go home to be alone in the car, yes, (laughs) or just drive away. So you don't have to depend on your extroverted friends. I was like, okay, that's quite a good idea. So a lot of times, extroverts feel that you know, is something wrong with me? Why can't I stay at this party longer with my extroverted friends? And I I really encourage people to realize we're all different. There's nothing wrong with you. If you can only stay at that function for three hours, that's fine because you've really shown up for three hours. And if you really made connections and learned new things, then that's great. You don't have to say, oh, why can't I stay as long as the other person? There is nothing wrong with you.
0: Well, and I think if you remember that most people are thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about you, because I think we have a tendency to worry about what we say or what we do and that people are going to focus on us and think badly about us or you know something's wrong with you. I think if you remember that if you just ask people about themselves, especially an extrovert, you'll get all the talking and all the information and they're not thinking anything about you. They're not judging you. They're not worrying about you, and um, I think we we have that this idea that what what we say is so important, and and that somebody will judge us. But I think that if we remember that everyone has that self judgment going on and worry that we that we just open up to that, that it's so it's so freeing because yeah. nobody's judging. You know, they're they're judging themselves more than they're judging you when you're yeah. in that situation.
1: And it's true. I like your tip but I've heard that before and I've used that before. Uh, just ask people questions and just be really curious. And you'll find that that person will just be so willing to tell you things. And it's a skill that I have with coaching. You know, I don't have to speak that much as a coach. I will just get curious and ask what's going on. And then that's when the client really, you know, really shares from the heart. And at the end of the conversation, whether it's coaching or whether it's a social function, that person really felt listened to a certain extent understood and will think you know julie you're amazing you know that was a pretty amazing conversation right yeah you're thinking i only asked two questions (laughs) you know and because people need to be heard and understood and a lot of times in our busy lives i think we say i hear you i hear you or you are hearing that person Preparing the answer, you know, kind of like waiting for that person to pause, then you jump in to say something. So when you have that kind of conversation, the other person doesn't really feel that uh, he or she is understood. You know, it's a different level.
0: Yeah. Well, and you don't have to put on a show and be the person that tells everything about your life. If you just ask people questions, then that will kind of naturally flow and you'll find commonalities and things, you know, things that you. Um, are curious about you'll learn about I I just think that asking questions is so powerful and so if you can get over that pressure that your brain puts on you to be perfect and ask the right questions it really doesn't matter what you ask as long as you're curious about that person it'll open up the conversation so much
1: yes Yes. And I remember earlier on in training as a coach, we were all you know, trying to think, what's that powerful question that you want to ask, you know, and then to the extent that some of my peers actually printed out a list of powerful <laughs> questions to us. That's a great tool. I think for all new coaches, you know, that, that's really great. However, as you do more and more coaching, the key is just to stay curious. And when you hear your client talk, it says just tell yourself, you know, you, you don't quite know what she's talking about. So if she says that, you know, Jenny, I'm stressed, stress is a very common word. So we automatically make assumptions. I will make an assumption of what stress is because it's my way of viewing stress. However, if you stay curious and you explore it, you can say, Julie, so you when you say stress, what's actually happening? How is it showing up in your body? And then actually what situations cause you to have that stress. And then when the client goes on to define their version of stress, you realize that it's completely different from your stress. She could just be experiencing overwhelm or sometimes it's something deeper than that. So we, we throw away our own judgment, our own assumptions of a very simple word. And then on that basis, like as though you don't know anything, that's when the powerful question comes because I don't think anyone would really ask you, Oh, Julie, what do you mean by stress? You know, Because when you say you're stressed, they're already assuming, ah, okay, I know what type of stress Julie is, is facing because that's what I'm facing. Yeah.
0: So um, in veterinary medicine, we have this kind of job where clients are coming in like every 10, 20 minutes, right? So client comes in with their pet, we have to go in the room, talk to them, try to figure out what's going on, make our recommendations, and then go on to the next client. So for an introverted person, which a lot of veterinarians are, that can be very hard to do that for, you know, an eight hour day or a 10 hour day without a lot of breaks. So what would be your advice to someone with that particular type of job and being introverted to cope? with that constant, um, the job of constantly extroverting and how do they care for themselves as introverts? Like what would be your advice for that? Because I think you would have a unique perspective on how to care for someone. In that mm. situation,
1: mm. ideally, there should still be pockets of time, even if it's like one two minutes for you to step away. And then, if you are able to step away, do something completely different. So, just say you've been spending a lot of time talking. So, you know, when you step away, um, I would say leverage on your five senses. So, you know, the sense of touch—you could touch. Actually, even if you couldn't step away because you're dealing with pets, right, and animals, so you'd be touching the fur. You know, checking so yes the the owner is still talking in that 30 seconds or so just really focus on on touching and on stroking you find that your mind quietens down and maybe you're you're still feeling tired you're still feeling uh, you know overwhelmed low energy but within that 30 seconds just by leveraging your sense of touch it can bring you a bit more centered a bit more focused, and then you know uh, that's really if you don't have time to run away. But if you can run away one two minutes, just take a break, take a walk. It's just a shift of the environment um, that that would be helpful. Ideally, you have pockets of fifteen minutes to really you know grab lunch or, or something because you need to nourish yourself physically as well. That will definitely, as you know, that will affect your your mental capabilities as well.
0: Yeah, I think that we forget that you're responsible for taking care of yourself. And if you can talk to whoever's running your practice or whoever you work for, or if you are the boss to actually schedule that time in for the people that need it. You know, sometimes certain veterinarians need a little bit more downtime than others, and that's all okay. And it's okay to ask for that. And when I'm talking to some of my coaching clients, I always encourage them to try to figure out what they need and then ask for it. So, so they can take care of their mental health, because if you're an introvert and you're constantly extroverting, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have a hard time going to work every day when you've got that on your mind. And I like what you said about petting the pets, because sometimes if I'm feeling overwhelmed by the client, I'll just put my stethoscope in and I'll listen And, and then they usually will stop. So I can just think for a minute and I can just kind of go inside, even being an extrovert. Sometimes the client's, you know, constant talking is overwhelming. And so I. that's that's
1: a good tip. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good tip. I've I've never coached a veterinarian before. So now I'm thinking, okay, so if if I'm coaching someone, if it's, in an environment that's too noisy, you could try and put in your earphones for a while. Although that that might be a bit rude, right? But mm-hmm. I agree with you about scheduling buffers. So it applies to anyone. You know, in this day and age where Zoom meetings are, you know, back to back, and I've spoken to so many clients. They say I've I have three hour meetings one after the other. I don't have time for a toilet break and all that. So I'm asking this person, what's stopping you from buffering? It, even if it's, if you can't do a 15 minute buffer between the two, what's stopping you from putting in five minutes? Then, you know, the client usually pauses and say, yeah, I can do that. So why don't you do that? <laughs> you know, why don't you do that? So sometimes she'll come up with excuses. Oh, because that meeting's not set by me and all that. Then I say, you can prepare beforehand so for meetings that you said make sure there is a buffer even if it's a bit weird like I'm scheduling it at 10 15 as opposed to 10 o'clock sharp there's nothing wrong you know because just by adjusting that well because you're responsible for
0: yourself right and if you don't if you don't take responsibility and you don't step up and tell people what you need it's not They're you're not going to get it because we all need different things right and I think that we we have a tendency to think we should be a certain way or we should show up in a certain way. And I, I really think that can be a damaging thought that, yeah. you know, maybe I'm not good enough because I need that downtime or, you know, I'm, I I want to work part-time instead of full-time. And is there something wrong with that? And I think encouraging people to ask for what they need is, is so vital and realizing that we show up differently. Yeah, and,
1: and what, what you said is actually about like society's expectations, right, on, on you. And, and being a woman, sometimes we tend to push ourselves more because we feel that we have to prove ourselves more than, than a man, which has some proof at least now i'm seeing that there are changes although we are far we're still very far away from you know gender equality but there are definitely positive changes that i when i first started working like 25 years ago yeah 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 it has changed and I, the veterinary
0: profession has changed too since i've been doing it because i've been doing it a long time and people are speaking up more for their mental health they are asking for what they need but I also see so many people that feel like they're a victim to their profession. Do you see that in the law? Oh, yes. The people that work in law?
1: Yes. And and actually recently... As recent as today, there are articles in the newspaper about young lawyers leaving the profession because mm. of burnout. It's, it's an ongoing problem. I've heard of this when I was a young lawyer myself and because of the hours, that the demands, and I recall that I didn't have a life over weekends because I was preparing my case brief. <laughs> so it was quite sad, you know. <laughs> so I, I that, that resonates with me. I think with this kind of uh, high stress, uh, hectic profession, there needs to be a change across the board. So, I mean, if, if the partners in a law firm are also working this horrendous hours, they expect the juniors to work the same. So there must be a change in the mindset and the approach that you do things across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of the leadership, like right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I would
0: encourage, and I don't know if this is the same in the law, but I would encourage the people that are coming up to hold fast to those changes. You know, don't, don't fall victim to, you know, now we all have to work 80 hours a week because I had to work 80 hours a week. You know, I, it, I think it's a, it's a trap that we get
1: ourselves into. True. Uh- at the, at the same time, we're only human, Julie. So if you had worked 80 hours a week, you would feel a bit resentful if your junior is only putting in like 50 or 45 hours. You're, you're thinking to yourself, I worked that many hours and I made it. So how can you make it if you make if you work less? So again, it's a very difficult mindset to shift. It can be done. It just somehow, you know, you have to see what the big picture is because it's not helping the legal profession. If all the junior lawyers are leaving, Then there'll be a shortage similarly with medicine with veterinarian uh medicine you know if everyone who starts two years in they they leave there will be a shortage in the long run
0: yeah and that's what's happening in our profession for sure we definitely have a shortage of of veterinarians and mm. um and that's one of the reasons is because they are leaving um the profession either leaving to go part time or just leaving altogether which i find mm. very sad You know, Mm -hmm. I I think veterinary medicine is such an amazing profession and I want everyone to stay in it. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing to help them stay in it so they can, you know, gain some tools to, to be healthy mentally so they can continue to do this amazing work. Do you work with lawyers that are thinking about getting out of the profession? And if so, what do you recommend to them to try to stay in it?
1: Yes yeah, so, so definitely that that's quite common and I don't recommend them to stay in it if they've really uh, thought through and, and they feel that that's not what they want. Yes yeah. right. so, so a lot of us may come up with a law degree uh however it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go through the traditional route of becoming a, a lawyer in a law firm and you know billing hours and all that. So it's just, again, to, to discover what the client really needs. So I've coached uh, young female lawyers who feel that, okay, this is the time that I think I need to shift a bit, either in, in my my job because I'm going to start a family. So I'm not saying that if you want to start a family, you have to sacrifice your career. It's just finding that right adjustment. It's not even about balance because nowadays, what is balance? It's, it's your work seeps into your life and your life seeps into your work so it's just finding out what you want what your priorities are so some people you know they would decide that at this point in my life maybe for the next three years career comes first there's no right no wrong so if, if that's the case you know i'll coach that person to see like, okay, what's the next law firm you know she should go to to really kind of boost her career because she has the three-year plan. However, if someone feels that, I still love the law, but I cannot keep these hours because I'm getting married and I'm going to start a family. So what can I adjust in the meantime while I'll still stay tapped into the profession and then, you know, build my family? Yeah, so, so it's finding out kind of like their roadmap and, and everyone's destination is... Similar and yet different, they all lead to somewhere. So it's really understanding, getting your client to hear their own thoughts out, to to see that vision out. And I think that's when you know they start getting clearer about what they want.
0: Yeah, to really understand what you want out of your life overall. And hopefully your career that you've chosen can be a part of that. And I really think that it can. I think you can design most careers to look exactly the way you want them to look. You know, you and I, you went through law, you started coaching. I'm a veterinarian. I started coaching and to kind of blend those careers and, mm. and keep in that world, I think is, is something that is really fascinating and, in building that kind of life that you want, because you said helping people was part of you becoming a lawyer. And now it's, it's becoming a life coach and helping people, you know, carry on With their law career, if they want to, and moving into something else if they want that as well. Mm, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I ask them, you know, I know it's a very (laughs) common question where do you see yourself five years, 10 years from now, right? It's a common question, but do people really think about where they see themselves in 10 years' time? I mean, really, like from now, you know, picture yourself a day, 10 years from now, what are you doing? Who are you with? What are you feeling, you know, and, and where are you? Just imagine a day, 10 years from now, and then make it as real as possible. Then they start getting insights like, oh, actually, this is where I want to be 10 years from now. And then you kind of reverse engineer and move backwards to where you are today. So what do I need to start putting in place? What do I need to start doing so that eventually 10 years from now, I am there? Right. Right. Because if you don't visualize it and picture
0: where you want mm. to be, then you're
1: just kind of wandering. Yes. And you're kind of like, oh, OK, this, this guy is 10 years ahead of me and he's doing that. So, OK, traditionally, my career should be that way because he's made it. And this is what 10 years from now is. Fine if your vision is exactly that. But at least you have did this exercise to discover that, oh, yeah, this is really what I want. If you've done exercise and you realize that's not what you want, then there is no judgment there. It doesn't mean that you have to follow this path. You know, gone are the days when you know our parents put us through school and say, okay, you need to come out as this because I put you through school for this wow. particular career. Wow. Now everyone's pivoting, everyone's like you're saying, designing their careers, you know.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. And I, I really think it's good for people to think about. Yeah. So do you have any other, um, common tips that you use for people that are in that situation where they feel a lot of pressure from their career and they're struggling a little bit to decide, you know, what's their next step? Like, do you have a kind of a common thing that you talk about with your coaching clients or with your lawyers?
1: help them navigate lawyers they're very analytical so it's always asking them what what are you certain about What are you really clear about you know because a lot of times we, we we talk about the uncertainty we talk about like oh i don't know what to do then we forget so by focusing on what you're really clear about what you know for sure you don't want or what you know for sure you want that in a way gives you that confidence as well like oh okay it's not all uncertain i know that I don't want to work, you know, X number of hours. So you know. So, so we always focus on what is clear, what you know. And then we can move on to like, okay, what could be better here? You know, if you could change one thing to be better, what would that be? Would it be time? Would it be money? And they'll be surprised by their own answers because after they discovered what is really clear, they start seeing you know, what they want, what they don't want. And the next step also becomes clearer. So I think sometimes when you focus like too much on the uncertainty, it makes us feel um, anxious. It, it gives that negative energy. So focus on something that's good that you already know, that you're very clear about. And then you can start seeing, you know, where you need to move to. Yeah, that's really, that's a really good tip. I think that if
0: someone just started there, that that would really help them focus in and get rid of some of that anxiety and uncertainty. Yeah. That's what, that's what happens a lot is, is we just feel overwhelmed because of the uncertainty. Now, is there an issue with lawyers in making mistakes? Cause that is a big thing that I deal with with uh, the veterinary coaching clients is they are so worried about something not going right because of the gravity of the of the um, outcome could be so terrible. And so they have this really strong need to always be right or m- more of an anxiety, I think, a worry about being right in the decisions that they make and the recommendations that they make to their clients. Do you see similar mm.
1: things with lawyers? Do they have that? Not, not just lawyers, actually. It's like anyone I coach, that comes up a lot. Uh, You know, if I make a mistake, you know, how will that affect me, affect my team, affect this project? So again, there's a lot of high expectations on oneself and really not having empathy for yourself. So I I usually play with it. I said that, you know, imagine your best friend, someone you really love is going through exactly the same thing you're going through. And then she makes a mistake. What will you say to her? The conversation is completely different. They'd be like, oh, you know, it's all right. You know, it's just a mistake. And then, you know, what's, what's the damage here? Not, not much, right? right? However, then I said that, now, this is what you're going through. Can you say the same thing you just told your best friend? They stopped. They're they not able to say it. So, so the breakthrough is to get them to start saying maybe even 10% of what they would tell their best friend. Yeah. And I, and I do use this, although I don't know whether it can work with doctors or veterinarians when I say that, you know, if you make a mistake, would anyone die? So I shouldn't <laughs> say this because if you make a mistake, sometimes the pet has to die, right? And right, right and in a medical yeah. profession, it's, it's a bit difficult to use that if you make a mistake, will someone die? But in all other professions... And actually, if you think of the context, if you uh, mess up a project, you know, and you ask that question, will anyone die? What's the, or maybe you shouldn't say that. Maybe you should just say that. Worst what's the worst? It? Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? Right. And I actually, recently coached a client, and she thought about it, and she said, "Oh, the project is delayed for two weeks. That's the worst that can <laughs> happen." So when you Put that out there. You hear yourself say, "Oh, the worst happen. The project will be delayed for two weeks." It's not even financial loss. It's just right. a timeline. Yeah. So, so when you realize that, that you could, yeah, you could actually see her go, "Huh, okay." <laughs> you know, that's the worst thing, and it didn't happen yet. It was just something that was causing her a lot of anxiety. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a lot of it. Is we have a tendency to worry about things that haven't happened yet, and it's it's such a waste of time because most of the time it's not going to happen. You know, we worry about doing our surgeries. Somebody might have an issue with the anesthetic or someone might not recover well. I do it myself. I go into a surgery and I'm like, oh, this might not go well. And, you know, 99.9% of the time it goes great. And so we worry about the things that almost certainly are never going to happen. And so it's a a lot of mental space wasted on, on things that probably will never occur. And that it's a very hard mindset to get out of. But I think we do definitely have to work towards it.
1: Yeah. And then the fact that you say that you're worried about it, that something can go wrong, you are attracting that. So, yeah. so you are losing focus, right? As you know yourself, when you go to surgery, if you're worried about so many things, you are losing focus. And that's when mistakes happen. That's when mistakes happen, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah and then the one percent that you know you you worried about it happens if you think about your career Julie I'm, I'm sure you would say that I handled it it happened
0: mm-hmm.
1: I somehow handled it with help or by myself or you know it, it somehow I'm not it somehow worked out for the better but you could handle it you didn't break down right know, it, yeah you have it, the it, skills yes yes the skills to handle
0: whatever comes up and that's part of the the beauty of doing your job and being good at it is, is being able to handle it in the ups and downs. Yes. And
1: we see that. I think think empathy is also very important. And I think for all this kind of high stress uh, profession, it's, it's just, we, we don't practice empathy
0: on ourselves. On ourselves. Yeah. That, that is a big thing that we have to remember, right? Is having empathy for everything that happens. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I like the saying, don't sweat the small stuff. And then it goes on to say that everything is small stuff. You
0: know well, I mean? It really is true.
1: If you've been through anything
0: significant in your life with your family, with your children, with your parents, you know, y- you realize that that it is all the small stuff and not focusing yeah. on it. Yeah. Well, this is, is so much fun to talk to you. Is there anything that um, I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Anything that you want to offer? to my audience or whoever's listening to us out there, the lawyers, I'm hoping that the lawyers and the veterinarians are listening <laughs> yes. to us and everyone in between.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, it's generalization, but I think possibly these people in, in this kind of profession, I suffer from it, is we don't take care of ourselves. And that's been like one of the trends that we've been talking about as well. Don't feel guilty about self-care. And, and of course, a lot of people, that, that sounds very trendy you now. They say, oh, self-care is not selfish. And I think even for myself, when I first thought of this idea of self-care, I I would tell you, Julie, I don't have time to go to a spa for half a day, right? So that's the traditional way of of Mm self-care. Whereas what we've talked about, buffering buffering 15 minutes between meetings, that's self-care taking that five-minute walk outside your office or telling your receptionist, I cannot see anyone for the next 15 minutes. That's self-care. Waking up in the morning and it's just appreciating you know the fresh air, that's self-care. So if you talk about it, self-care is so easy. It's just that we have to shift our definition of self-care. We can't do yoga for you know, the, the whole day and we can't check ourselves into the spa. But we can do all these other things. And when you do all these other things, you feel that life is more meaningful. Yeah, that, that would that's what I would encourage uh, your your listeners, and also encourage both of us that yeah, as coaches, yes. we cannot let our cup get too empty as well. We need to fill right. up our cup so that you know we can help others, so
0: that we can help our clients, right? Yeah, yeah. both yeah. as a coach and as a as a professional, you know, I really think yes. that that's why we got into this work is to help other people, like you said at the very beginning. And I think if we remember that, that, that that's our focus, also taking care of ourselves because we're one of those yes. people, right? Yes. We, we tend to
1: give and give and give as well. And <laughs> you forget, right? So right. again, forget. and if you're an introvert, you know, just be very mindful of your energy level. Use that as a signal. There's nothing wrong with it. Just use it as a signal to, to realize that, okay, I need that 15 minute break and there's nothing wrong with it.
0: Right. And if you work with an extrovert, realize that they're not going to get that. <laughs> unless they're self-aware and they've studied personalities and, and you have to definitely explain that to them. Like, yes, I'm not I, wired I like I, you are. Yeah. I, I can't go, go, go all day and still feel energized. I need some of that, that space. Cause I think we forget that, um, we need to speak up Ourselves, yeah,
1: yeah, and mm-hmm. I tell my extroverted friends now I love you guys, but I'm spent, so I've got to go. <laughs> you guys carry on, and that's not you, but I gotta, I gotta leave. I'm driving, <laughs> yeah, so that's perfectly fine, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I love that. So, tell me, um, so that listeners can hear where to find you with your coaching, what kind of um, things that you can offer them, like where can they get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you? and and your coaching um, practice.
1: Okay, everything's online now, so you don't have to fly to Singapore, although it'd be great oh, to see some no. of you in That's Singapore. Is, I love <laughs> yeah. this, that now I know someone in Singapore. I've, I've never had a
0: friend in Singapore, and now I can say that I yes. do, and I'm so excited about that.
1: Yes. So my website is uh, riverlifecoaching.com, and you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, either under River Life Coaching or Jenny Toh, T-O-H. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can... Uh, get lost from that
0: yeah yeah that's what's the beauty of social media right is you can pretty much find anyone anywhere and get a hold of them yeah so I would love to do this again maybe if uh if we get time we can come up with some other subjects to talk about I love that you talked about being an introvert because that is um such a, a fascinating subject and and so um appropriate for the veterinarians because so many of them are introverted. And I think that is fascinating. And I would like to encourage people that mm. haven't tried life coaching to try it because it really does help. I have been coached for a lot of years now, and I just, I loved it. And that's why I decided to do it. Cause I think it really helps you move forward in in your life and, and have a better quality of life.
1: Yes, hundred percent agree. I mean, we coaches are also human. So just like you, I have been coached a lot. I have mental coaches, I have teachers. So, you know, that's that's what keep the energy going. Yeah, we right. all we're all learning. Yeah. And wow. then yeah, we're happy to talk about another episode down the road. I, I sense that mental health issues need to be talked about. Well, yeah. right and you told me at the beginning that you were a christian life coach
0: too and i really would like to hear more about that so maybe we'll schedule another uh, another podcast together so <laughs> that would be great you know, <laughs> if you like hearing jenny and i talk just let me know and okay. we'll try to schedule another early morning late evening late night <laughs> yeah because jenny's got to go now and get her yes. uh, family taken care of right
1: because she's got yes, a, that's
0: true. a busy schedule. So I really appreciate you being here. I loved meeting you and talking to you and and hopefully we can do it again. Yes.
1: Thank All you, right. Julie. It's so have been a beautiful really fun. week
0: everyone. We'll um talk again next week. Bye, Jenny.
1: Bye.